everyone. Today, I'll be talking with Michelle Charrier. Michelle has her Bachelor of Science in Psychology, Master Degree in Infant Family Practice, and she is a trained Circle of Security Parenting Facilitator. Michelle specializes in birth to five mental health, which includes an emphasis on the attachment relationship. She is also the founder of Babies and Brains and has experience working in community behavioral health. In today's episode, we will discuss what child attachment is and why it is so crucial for a child's development. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, everybody. Today we have Michelle Charrier here on the podcast. Welcome. Hi. So today we are going to be talking about attachment styles, specifically child attachment. So if you want to start out with just explaining what child attachment is and why it's crucial for a child's development, that would be great. Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of misunderstanding and and whatnot on social media with just using the word attachment. So I'm definitely happy to define it. So when we're looking at what an attachment is, it's not just a child really enjoying somebody's presence. It is actually a deep biological need for that child to form a relationship with a small number of caregivers whom they can depend on to meet their needs for comfort, protection, nurturance, pretty much all of their needs are going to be met through this relationship. So it's that young child's tendency to seek out that relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's crucial for a child's development because, well, as I just said, a child gets all of their needs met through that relationship. Mm-hmm. They, you know, especially in the beginning, but even throughout development, we are getting our needs met through that relationship with that trustworthy caregiver. And when we don't have that safe relationship, we can't thrive and grow because we're more focused on survival. How am I going to get my needs met? Then, okay, I can learn this new thing and I can practice this new developmental skill. So Mm -hmm. when we see attachment go awry or a child doesn't have a consistent attachment figure that's dependable, that's why we see it impact their um, developmental milestones and progression. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when do they start to form this? Like what age are they typically? Yeah. So uh, the onset of focused attachment stage, that's occurring between seven to 10 months. And a lot of people, if they think back, that's the time where you may see your child have an uptick in separation anxiety. They Mm. seem way clingier. And that's the entire reason why. Because seven to 10 months, they're honing in on those primary attachment relationships. And so other relationships, you know, grandma and whoever else was around, they're like, I don't want to focus on you. I want to be close to my primary caregiver or caregivers. This is who's most important to me right now. This is who's going to keep me safe. And so that's why we see some of that stranger anxiety and separation anxiety pop up. So that's that first stage where it's officially consolidating. We can say that they are discriminating as in their understanding that they're primary caregiver is their attachment figure. But, you know, if there are children, for instance, who are older and maybe they're adopted into a home, it's going to depend on how long the attachment would take to form. It's not like an exact seven to 10 months at that point. But if we're looking at a child who's growing up with their biological parents and they're spending time with them, then it's usually at that seven to 10 months that it's really starting to consolidate. Then at 12 months, we see that pattern more stabilized. Now, are there different types of attachment? Yeah. So there's different classifications. So a lot of people know that there's secure and there's insecure attachments, Mm -hmm. but there's actually a few insecure types. So there's secure and that's where that child knows that they can depend on that caregiver. That caregiver Mm -hmm. is going to meet their needs and support their development. And then the insecure types, there's avoidant, resistant, and then disorganized. So an avoidant attachment is where the child just knows that they aren't really going to get their needs met through that caregiver. That caregiver is really not going to respond to them in the way that they need. And so they kind of don't really seek that caregiver out. They don't put that energy in because they know it's not going to be reciprocated. 
And then a resistant attachment is where that caregiver is pretty inconsistent. You know, sometimes they're really anxious. Sometimes the caregiver's scary. Sometimes the caregiver's just absent. And so that child kind of has to anxiously attend to this caregiver and kind of become hypervigilant. Like, I don't really know what to expect from you. And so they, it's this kind of push and pull. Like, I want to seek you out, but then I don't know if you're going to meet my need. I'm going to push you away. And that's where that resistant label comes from. And then disorganized, this is this is not like a super common attachment type per se, but it is the most, um, I would say, sad one because it's when children find their caregivers frightening, their caregiver is a source of harm. And so it's kind of a conundrum for the child because it's like, I need to seek safety from you, but you also are the source of harm and fear. So it, they're put in this position where they can't organize their behavior. So therefore, it's disorganized. Okay. Yeah. So... The previous person I had that came on the podcast to talk about attachment kind of talked about it from the parenting point of view. So it's actually very interesting to me to hear these through from the viewpoint of a child as opposed to the viewpoint of the parent. So I think it'll be an interesting conversation just to hear what you have to say about does a parent's attachment style have any type of effect on how they parent and thus affecting their child's attachment style. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. And I just actually talked about this in my course, so it's fresh on my mind, but there isn't a direct link. So if a parent had an insecure attachment history, there's not like point A to point B that they are going to then foster an insecure attachment in their child. Because Mm -hmm. when we grow into adulthood, it's not just our childhood experience that you know, again, draws that straight line. It's our mental representation of those relationships. So, you know, now we can think back, we can reflect, we have our own coping skills as adults. So there's so much more in that comes into play. And then we mm-hmm. also have other, you know, relationships that we form, whether that's with an intimate partner, friendships, or even with a therapist, we have other supportive relationships that come into play. So we're not so dependent on just that attachment figure. And so, there's all these other things that impact us when we when it comes to our parenting. So yes, our history plays a role. It's certainly going to bring up barriers. It's going to provide us with strengths and foundations, but it's not, again, that direct A to B kind right. of route that a lot of people worry about, though. They worry about that. If they had an insecure history, then they're destined to do that with their child, and that's not the case. Right, right. And yeah, and you said, like I said, it's so different because the child is looking at it from a viewpoint of, well, this is this is the only caregiver I have. Like, what am I, I have no other choice but to go to them if they're resistant or disorganized or avoidant, you know, like they, they don't have anywhere else to kind of go in some cases. So it's like, as an adult, you've kind of worked through that. You're able to kind of look at it through a different lens. So interesting. So does a child typically have just one attachment or can they have several? They can have a a small handful and there isn't necessarily a number where they tap out at like 10 is the max. It's not like that. But in order for an attachment to form, a child has to interact with a caregiver over a period of time. It's not just I've seen you three times in Mm -hmm. a year. So how many adults can a child really have that much interaction time with? So They can absolutely form attachments with both parents in the home. If it's a two-parent home, they can form an attachment with a teacher or a nanny, a babysitter, anybody who's really interacting with that child for a good amount of time. And again, there's not like a limit of time or like a quota you have to meet, but Mm -hmm. they have to be with them enough to build that trust in that relationship. And then there have been studies and books written on, um, you know, village type cultures where there's a lot of caregivers interacting with a child. And so those numbers may be higher in those kind of cultures because the adults play a caregiving role with all of the children. So they are interacting with the children, you know, across periods of time. But if we're looking at Western culture, are there 20 adults that the child is spending that much time with? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's usually going to be a small number of caregivers. I would say probably less than 10. But again, there can be different the cultural differences that play a role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that they're able to form this attachment relationship between seven and 10 months. Now, is there anything that can happen during that period, like examples of something that can happen during that period to affect a healthy attachment? Yeah. And this this is the part that can cause parents some anxiety because, you know, in that early stage, we 
go through a lot, you know, if we're if we're a postpartum mother, you know, we have our own, you know, mental health stuff that we're going through our own adjustment period. And then, you know, if we're a two parent household, that other parent has their own adjustment as well. So our mental health can absolutely play a role if we Mm -hmm. don't have supports, we're not getting the help that we need, and we're not able to tend to that relationship, it absolutely can impact it. But I like to disclaim that it's not 100% guarantee because we all cope with things differently. So just Mm -hmm. because you have, let's say, postpartum depression, that doesn't mean that you can't support a secure attachment. Because let's say you're getting support, you're mindful of how that's like impacting you and how that's impacting the relationship. Well, then it might not you know, cause any insecurity. Mm -hmm. Someone else who doesn't have support, isn't getting any help, isn't reflective, isn't really mindful of how that's presenting and impacting the relationship, maybe it will. So Mm -hmm. there's no absolutes there, but we have to think, how is this impacting how I'm showing up for my child, tending to their needs? And how is this impacting just my ability, you know, to be well? That's Mm -hmm. where the impact is really going to lie. Now, if you did have that circumstance where, you know, your child was affected and that period of time. Can the attachment style change over time? Yeah. So attachments can change based on changing circumstances. They don't flip-flop back and forth. Like if you have a really bad day parenting and you yelled and you just really weren't connected to your child, that doesn't mean they're flipping into insecurity. We want to Mm -hmm. really think about that foundational pattern of that relationship. What has your child come to expect from you? So If we, you know, if there's a circumstance that, you know, it becomes really hard for us to cope and we, again, we don't have support, we're really struggling and that impacts how we're showing up in that relationship, then yes, that attachment can change. Or like you were asking, if things were really hard in a certain period, we can repair, we can connect, we can really attune to our child's needs and we Mm -hmm. can establish a secure attachment. So it can change, but it's not just kind of flipping back and forth Mm -hmm. quickly. Constantly, yeah. Yeah. That that would be really anxiety provoking. I know, I know. But like, yes. I can't make one mistake here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely room to make mistakes for yeah. sure. Uh, what are some signs that we should look out for as parents that might tell us that our child is experiencing, you know, like difficulties with their attachment? Yeah. So this is, this is hard. And I, you'll actually, like, if you look at my social media, I don't talk about stuff like this because it's so nuanced and complex. Like there's not like this little checklist where it's like, okay, this means my child for sure is struggling in the Mm -hmm. attachment because we have to just think it's, it's a relationship, right? It's, there's just so many layers there. Um, But children who are struggling in the attachment relationship, they aren't able to go to their caregivers for comfort. So they can't trust that that caregiver is going to be able to handle their emotions, you know, handle their needs. And so we may see those children avoiding their caregiver, not seeking them out, even when they're truly distressed. So when we look at the strange situation procedure, that's the assessment for attachment. Those children, they their heart rates will be elevated, but mm-hmm. they will not seek out their caregiver. They will avoid their caregiver. And so as a caregiver in the home, you can't say, well, let me measure your heart rate and see if you're really stressed. So that's where it becomes hard, where as parents, we can't, you know, un- get into all of these complexities that are necessary to assess that attachment. So yeah, the children will have a hard time seeking out their caregiver for help. And then some children will have a really difficult time exploring their world and playing. But I have to note here, there are just children with temperament types that aren't Mm going to play away from their children or away from their parents. I have, I have that child myself and I'm not worried (laughs) that he's insecure. We, when we see this as an issue, the environment is safe. Everything is okay. It's not a temperament issue, but that child can't leave that caregiver because their caregiver is so anxious and they sense that. Mm -hmm. So that becomes an attachment difficulty because a child needs to explore to practice their development and to act on their self-interest and really find Mm -hmm. out who they are. And they can't because, well, mom or dad or whoever it is, they're so anxious about my separation that I got to stay close. I can't trigger my parent like that. And that's another Mm -hmm. um, attachment difficulty that we see. And then, of course, if a caregiver is really frightening and whatnot, we would see a child completely avoid their caregiver, shut down, probably not be super emotional. That would also be indicative of a difficulty. And that's with the disorganized attachment category. I feel like it's really tough too, because when you think about it, it's like you want to obviously have this, your child have this secure attachment, like clearly, Mm -hmm. but then you also want to foster 
independence, like throughout their entire life, right? Like as yeah. they, as they're getting older, you want to foster more and more and, and you want to help them become more independent. Like that's the whole goal of raising a child, right? Is to yeah. help them to be independent and make the good decisions and all that thing, all those things. But it's hard when you're thinking about it from like this secure attachment point of view, because you're like, okay, well, I don't want to like push them off before they're ready. Right. Like, is that going to, like, do you know what I mean? Like in your head, you think about it where, you know, you don't want your child to think that you don't want to support them, but at the same time you want them to be independent. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And when we look at attachment, it's not just the closeness. It's a balance between the child being able to seek closeness and also seek exploration and interact with their Mm. world. And so there is this misconception that attachment is all about closeness and it's all about affection and whatever. And so our parents worry, like my child really likes to explore. Like, does that mean they're not Mm. attached? Well, exploration is an essential piece of the attachment relationship. So we do want to support that, but we don't want to push children before they are ready. That's where Mm -hmm. it becomes an issue. Like I'm so anxious with you being close. I want you to be out. I want to focus on your pursuits and your accomplishments because I'm uncomfortable as a parent with the closeness. That's Mm -hmm. where the independence piece becomes a problem. Are we focusing on independence because we are uncomfortable with the closeness because we want to focus on our child's achievements and the achievement of independence? Or are we supporting their exploration because this is a need that they are exhibiting. Mm-hmm. We are seeing them interested in their world. And so we're taking a deep breath and we're sitting there and we're supporting that. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Are we following mm-hmm. their needs or are we pushing in relation to our needs? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of strategies like as parents can we use to help you know, foster these secure attachments within our children? But can you give us those examples like through the different milestones of age? So like infancy and then maybe early childhood and then kind of as they get older, making sure to help them be independent, but also reminding them that they're secure, like as they're getting older, like into that. This age of preteen is is difficult for me because it's like, okay, I want to, you know, help her develop all of these things, but also make sure she's secure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so it's easier to teach or to talk about the foundation of what supports secure attachment rather than different age ages because mm-hmm. the foundation stays the same, but then we we do modify it, you know, based mm-hmm. on the child's age and abilities. But okay. so we do want to focus on that balance of supporting exploration and supporting that need for closeness. So that's, those are the key areas. And of course, our caregiving abilities and our, you know, ability to show up and be balanced, that's another piece of it. But if we're just talking about the child, they're seeking out that exploration, they're seeking that closeness. And so we can support that exploration by following cues. So Mm -hmm. following cues is going to be actually essential in both pieces. So we want to be able to take a deep breath, and attune to our child. So attunement is that act of, you know, being harmonious with our child's needs and their inner world and their inner experiences. So that's going to be a big piece of fostering security. We are getting out of our own heads. You know, it's not about our needs and our history. Those things can absolutely impact us Mm -hmm. in the attachment relationship. But to support security, we want to attune to our children. So Mm -hmm. Are we sitting back, you know, we're calm and we're noticing, hey, they really want to play with this toy. I'm going to let them do it. Or are we getting really, really disruptive and intrusive because we're having our own anxiety? Mm -hmm. So supporting security is being able to tune, sit back and kind of let them guide you, follow their cues. Ask yourself, what is my child needing from me? That is going to be a foundation that is going to stay the same, whether they are seven months or they are two or they're 10. But obviously, there's a boundary piece there because we as parents have to keep them safe. And children don't always make the greatest decisions for themselves. And so we can't just always let them explore everything they want to. And this obviously comes into play with preteens and teenagers as well, but also with little ones, you know, like my child wants to play with the kitchen knife. Well, 
I want to support his exploration, but that's not safe. Mm -hmm. And so we want to have a balance there where we follow their cues when we can, right? But we want to set healthy boundaries because if we can't set healthy boundaries as parents, that also doesn't support attachment. That can frighten children because then they don't think they have a parent that can keep them safe. They Mm -hmm. want to see us step up and keep them safe, even if they push against those boundaries. We want to balance all of that with boundary setting. This podcast episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef makes eating well simple with plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. We are getting back into the swing of things with school and fall activities. Everything seems so busy. If you are looking to stock up on functional snacks and clean beverages to energize you during these busy days, check out Green Bundles, available at Green Market. You can shop here for nutritious grab-and-go breakfast, brunch kits, lunches, ready-to-eat snacks, and more you can easily add on to your weekly order. My personal favorite is Green Chef's quick and easy recipes that include step-by-step instructions for dinners that are ready in 25 minutes or less. Plus, you can cut down on meal prep with pre-portioned and prepped ingredients, including pre-measured sauces, spices, dressings, all delivered right to your door. It makes getting dinner on the table so much easier when things are really busy. I am excited to try their buttery lemon garlic shrimp and sriracha tamari beef bowls. Green Chef is also the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. They offset 100% of their carbon footprint, as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. To try Green Chef, go to greenchef.com slash 60lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, and use code 60lindsay to get 60% off your order plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash 60lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y. And then same with the closeness seeking. We want to follow those cues. Are our children seeking closeness? They're holding their arms up. Are they trying to seek closeness when they're emotional? Are they seeking closeness when they're enjoying something and they want us to participate in that instead of, again, focusing on our own needs? You know, Mm -hmm. if we're pushing our children away because we are uncomfortable, that's not supporting attachment. If we're welcoming them in because they want to be close, that is supporting attachment. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that was like a big kind of (laughs) spiel there, but I can definitely elaborate more if you wanted me to. Yeah, I just, is there like... Are there things like, let's take your, do you have multiple kids or just one? Just one. Okay. So are there specific things that you focus on with your child just to make sure that you're fostering that secure attachment, like on a daily basis? Like, I mean, obviously the usual things like cues, like you said, like if, you know, they're kind of reaching for me, I'll pick them up and things like that. But is there anything in particular that... Like maybe even some common common challenges that you've seen other parents face that you're like, oh, okay, this is the way I would do this, for example, to foster that. Yeah. So the biggest thing that I practice is I try to be really reflective. And it's I know that when people ask, you know, these questions, like, I want strategies to support attachment. Mm-hmm. They, you know, want this like, okay, we can do this, this, and this, and check off this list throughout the day, and this is going to help. But it's It's really this process of understanding your internal world as a caregiver that I should have honestly said that just prior. But Mm -hmm. if you don't understand what's going on for you, if you're not reflective and you're not mindful, then how are you going to connect to your child's inner world? Mm -hmm. Because you're going to be so mixed up in your own stuff and your own feelings. And all of that is valid, right? We are humans. We want to tend to our needs and be mindful of our feelings. But we don't want to avoid them and only tend to them when it's coming up in an anxious way. We want Mm -hmm. to be proactive and we want to form that healthy relationship with our internal internal world, our past experiences. So I try to be really reflective, especially if I'm having a hard day. And when I'm having a hard day with other things, like it's work or whatever other stress is coming up, I'm short with my child and Mm -hmm. I don't have the patience and him reaching up and screaming for me to hold him for the fifth hour in a row. I don't have the patience for it because something else is stressing me out. And some parents, I think in that moment would say, well, I'm stressed because my child 
won't let me put them down. Mm -hmm. And yes, that's stressful. But I always think back, well, this started somewhere else. This wasn't about my child, right? Mm -hmm. Something else is going on where my cup isn't filled in some way. I have an unmet need, or I have some kind of message from my past experiences that are, you know, it's coming into play, and it's impacting how I view my child. So reflection is immensely helpful, but it's a process, right? We don't just, we're not all born with that skill. It's something that some of us have to really tune into and practice. So it's not, it's easier said than done for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause like the example I think of when you were just saying all those things was, okay, so mom of four, obviously I have been pregnant or breastfeeding for ever. I don't know, like eight years told or something. And the phrase like touched out is like, doesn't even begin to kind of describe that feeling of, you know, like just this constant, everybody needing you um, type of thing. And so I guess it can be overwhelming, right? Like, and I'm sure people listening can understand, like, it's just like, yeah, when you're, when your child, well, multiple children, you know, all want your attention and want to be either held or need all of these different things, it can definitely be tough, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to in that scenario to affect, I mean, obviously, like you said, not one situation is going to affect their attachment. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have this period of time where you are with a new, say you had a new baby, right? And you're with that. And I guess this would be a great leadway into like the sibling dynamics that we were talking about before we started. Once you start to introduce the siblings, I felt like that is where it got really tough because you are giving that attention to another child who needs you just as much as the first one does. And you're not able, you have to split your attention immediately, right? And that child Mm -hmm. that typically was able to just get a hug from you when they put their hands up, that's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. And granted, yes, there's, you know, sometimes another person in the house, um, another adult that can hopefully, you know, be there to help, but they're not going to be there all the time, right? People work. And so it's, it can be really overwhelming to have to split your time and your, you know, like you, your, your hugs Mm -hmm. and your being able, your ability to carry your kids once you introduce more kids into the picture. So I think it can feel very overwhelming. Yeah. So I'd love for you to kind of touch on the sibling um, dynamics and how that affects things. And, you know, tell us if we're really messing our kids up if we're <laughs> not paying attention to them 24 seven. So yeah, uh, I, oh, absolutely. I want to talk about this because it's, we put so much pressure on ourselves. And I think, so obviously I have one kid, so I'm just speaking from what I hear from other people, but we expect that we have to be the same and that different is bad. So obviously the dynamic is different when you add a child inevitably. And so we think, well, different means bad because I can't keep up with what I used to have. But, Mm -hmm. and this is going to, this is going to go into this question, but also step back just a little bit with attachment and supporting attachment because we can't be perfect. So perfection is not required. It's not necessary. It's not possible. Nobody would have a secure attachment if perfection, you know, was necessary. We have to focus on, so we are focusing on that reflection and that attunement. But when we you know, step off track, we want to focus on repair. So Mm -hmm. I and I've written about this in emails and whatnot and blogs, knowing all of this, like I'm a human still, and I've definitely snapped at my son and I've raised my voice or I've had to walk away a second to take a deep breath. And what matters most is that we are able to repair with our children, not mm-hmm. that we can refrain from making any mistakes. So, and, and repair is, you know, it goes along with attunement because we're able to think about how our child experienced, you know, whatever situation, let's say we snapped and we yelled, we reflect after and we're like, that's not how I want a parent. That's not aligning with my values. I don't like how I acted there. And then we're attuning and thinking, you know, that probably scared them. They probably Mm -hmm. really needed me in that moment. And instead of supporting them, I probably added more stress Mm -hmm. to them. We're attuning to that inner world and then we're reconnecting and we're repairing. We're taking ownership for, you know, what happened with us. We're not blaming our children whatsoever. And that's why reflection is really important because we may tend to blame our children. Well, I wouldn't have yelled if you would have just stayed off the couch. Mm. That is blame. We want to really connect with, well, okay, I'm overstimulated and it's not my child's job to meet my needs. So if I'm overstimulated as a parent, I have to meet my own needs. I have to figure that out. It's not my child's job. So we want to 
take ownership and say, hey, you know, mom yelled at you earlier and that probably felt really scary. And when I yell at you, it's never your fault. You know, uh, you know, mom's really stressed out and it has nothing to do with you. And I really want to try to do better next time. So when I feel that stress in my tummy, I'm going to take a big, deep breath. Do you want to try to do one with me right now? And just, you know, owning what you did recognizing their experience. Hey, you probably felt scared and just Mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to try better next time. So Mm -hmm. I know that kind of was a tangent from what you asked about siblings, but that's what's most important. Not that we're Mm -hmm. always getting it right. And then with the sibling piece, we worry that connection has to mean that we are always physically close. So if we have two children and, you know, both of them want to be held, well, one of them, we maybe we can only hold one. So are we just abandoning the other? Are we not meeting their needs? But you know, verbal, we can connect verbally, we can connect to our child's interest in what they're doing in that moment. It doesn't always have to be that we have to physically give ourselves all the time because mm-hmm. we have to set boundaries to sometimes maintain our mental energy and mm-hmm. peace so that we can show up as parents. So okay. I, you know, from that previous part of the conversation, I don't want people to think that they just like always have to follow their children all the time, 24 seven, or they're g- going to be insecure. We have to keep it realistic, Mm -hmm. or you're going to burn out and you're not going to be able to meet anybody's needs, right? Mm -hmm. So like if you had, if you were holding a baby and you're trying to cook pasta with the other arm and your toddler's, you know, tugging at your shorts wanting to be picked up. Yeah, we probably can't pick that toddler up in that moment unless like they got hurt or something and we just have to stop the pasta. (laughs) But we might say, I know you really want to be picked up. I see you. Okay. I'm going to be done in a second. And we want to connect with them verbally and connect Mm -hmm. to that internal experience Mm -hmm. rather than pushing them away. I know it's so hard. It's so hard to wait. I hate waiting too. So we can do things like that. Just acknowledging them. Yeah. Acknowledging it. Yeah. And it's not, maybe it's not going to take their upset away. That's not the goal. The goal is to help our children feel seen and connected Mm -hmm. to us. And that helps too. What are your suggestions? A, B, and C. Four. <laughs> One, we're introducing a new baby into the family. Is there anything that you suggest as far as like, you know, you'll hear some people, I know we were like, oh, you're, you know, you're, you, your new baby sister or brother is going to, you know, they got you this book to read to them or whatever it might be so that they feel like they're kind of included into this new adventure with this new mm-hmm. baby. Like, what are your suggestions for that? Do you have any? Yeah. So I actually, there there was a study that I, I referenced in one of my guides about siblings. And when it looked at families who had a secure attachment before, you know, when they just had one child and then they added a sibling and the attachments remained secure, what they saw was that these families reported significantly less parenting stress than Mm. other families. They reported a greater sense of parental efficacy. So they felt like they were effective in being able to manage their children's behaviors. And they also were able to increase in their parental sensitivity, used less punitive discipline, and then they had more co-parenting cooperation. So Mm -hmm. when we're looking at how can we support not even just the previous child, but the new child we added, how can we support the family system in in maintaining that security? We want to focus on those things. How can we help our parenting stress? So is that calling in supports and whatnot? How can we feel effective in managing our child's behavior? So is that us trying to practice that act of attunement and really connecting with our child rather than using those behavioral methods that just Mm -hmm. disconnect us, pushing our child away, And then how can we get on the same page as co-parents? And I recommend starting this stuff and talking about this stuff before baby comes. You don't want to be scrambling and figuring this out when you're postpartum, like your brain is barely working and you're just in survival mode. And so those are the foundational things because we do focus on like, let's read them a book and do that. Those things are all good too. But really when we're looking at attachment security, these are the things that are going to support it. Mm -hmm. So how Mm -hmm. can we address those things? So, you know, talk to your partner ahead of time. Like, how are we going to do this thing? And, you know, who the baby's going to have needs, the toddler's going to have needs. How are we going to split this up? Mm -hmm. So we want to have a plan for that. But then with your older child, we do want to prepare them so that they know what to expect. So change inevitably puts us on guard for danger, whether it's Mm -hmm. good change or Mm -hmm. bad change. If we move into a new home and it's amazing, we still get thrown off, right? Mm -hmm. 
So we want to help our child feel safe by knowing what to expect. We're going to be bringing new baby furniture into the home. We're going to be rearranging the rooms. And I think parents sometimes don't think that their little ones notice these things. You know, if you have children really close together, you're like, well, they're only like a year. They don't really know what's going on. They do. They notice like, Mm -hmm. hey, you're, you know, this room is closed off and you're painting it. Like what's going on? We don't normally do this. And so I really encourage parents to just talk through all of those little changes and don't just wait to like, hey, baby's here. Baby's coming in a month, by the way. Like they're noticing these things and having to make sense of them on their own. Mm -hmm. So it's better for you to talk them through than leave them to try to figure it out. They're little. They don't understand why you're painting the room. Like they're new Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. They don't understand this process. (laughs) So that's also really important. Yes. Now you mentioned very briefly, you mentioned discipline and it it kind of um, made me think about connecting with your child while also disciplining them. Like, do you have examples of that? Because, you know, I I feel like that's a tough one too, to kind of navigate because, you know, say something and there's differences too. Like if your child, I don't know if they're throw something across the room Mm -hmm. versus they're hitting their brother or sister, right? Mm -hmm. Like those are kind of two different levels of discipline, right? Like you have to really kind of stop the act in the second one as opposed to the first one. You can kind of just talk with them and get down to their level and things like that. Whereas when they're harming a brother or sister, it's kind of something different. But how do you keep that connection and like that security within them when you're also trying to discipline them? Yeah. So, and the common misconception is that discipline has to be punishing, right? So then we can't, you know, understand how could we be connected and also punish our children. So we have to think of it from the standpoint that we are teaching them something and children learn through relationship and connection. And so if we really want our children to learn better, you know, because their behavior is unacceptable or it's harming others, disconnection isn't the answer. So, you know, when, especially when it's those higher level, like they hit their baby sibling, you know, Mm -hmm. we tend to get really dysregulated as parents. No one's going to celebrate that, right? It's normal to get dysregulated, but we often get taken back to how we were disciplined Mm -hmm. where, you know, previous generations did not had a lot less tools, you know, no offense, but they pretty much practice timeout, go to your room, spankings, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. That's not teaching the child not to throw things. That's teaching them that, you know, we parent through fear and disconnection. Mm -hmm. And even when they're having a hard time, we can't connect and understand and we push Mm -hmm. them away. Mm -hmm. So we want to focus on balancing emotional attunement with boundaries because boundaries are important. We can attune to a child's inner experience, but set boundaries around the behavior. We want them to know that, hey, your feelings are okay. Like there's no such thing as a bad feeling, like even anger, like that is healthy for humans to experience. But the behavior piece, that's Mm -hmm. where we want to draw the boundary. So let's Mm say, you know, baby's crying and toddler gets overstimulated and goes and hits baby. Mm -hmm. We can say, I know it's so hard to listen to baby's cries, but you may not hit your baby brother. So we can attune to that experience. It's so hard. Or I know it's Mm -hmm. so loud, but you may not hit. So we want to be firm but we don't want to just throw the feelings out the window. And I think that's where we have a hard time with that balance. Well, right. Because you're immediate, you're, you know, it's just instinctive to be like, no, don't do that, you know, and and you don't acknowledge the feeling first. What your first acknowledgement is like, hey, please don't do that. You're going to hurt your brother or sister. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's not, yeah, it's just not something that happens very easily. It's like you immediately want to just like break up the situation and kind of go from there. It's definitely difficult. Okay. So say things escalate, right? So say you're doing all the right things, like you're getting down to their level, you're looking at them, you're acknowledging, you know, how they might feel, or you're even asking them how how they feel. And you're trying to, to correct that behavior and just talk to them, talk them through it. But say, you know, say it's something that happens again and again, or say, you know, it happens again, five minutes later, like, how are you progressing? Are you just talking to them the same exact way that you did the first time? Like, how do you kind of deal with that? Yeah. So part of the attunement piece would be not just looking at the behavior. We have to think, okay, what's probably driving this behavior? What Mm -hmm. is the underlying factor? Because even if it looks like it, even if they hit their sibling and they laugh and it looks like they're enjoying it and they're plotting it out and they're like destined to be a little serial killer, that (laughs) is not the, that's not the case, right? There's something that's driving them 
to do this. And it could be overstimulation. It can be a need for connection with us. You know, maybe we've been tending to the baby all day and we haven't really connected mm-hmm. with them at all. And they know this is where the piece get, it gets a little bit confusing because people are like, well, then they're doing it on purpose. Well, children understand that there's certain behaviors that are going to prompt our connection. Right. Yeah. But it's not that they're sitting around being manipulative. It's really this instinctual, well, I have this underlying need for connection and my my lower level cues, my more subtle cues aren't getting noticed because Mm -hmm. children will do things all day. They'll like come and touch our pant leg or tug on us and we may brush them off. And then all of a sudden they're hitting their sibling and we're like, Mm -hmm. that went zero to 60. What was that? Well, there were probably other things, other bids for connection that we didn't notice. Yeah. And so maybe it seems like they're being manipulative, but I don't like to frame it that way. They have an underlying need and they just don't know how to communicate it to us. And they're really impulsively kind of trying to get that need met. So if it were to happen again and again, there's two things there. We can all we can change boundaries and, and make them more firm. Like for instance, if it happened again in this in five minutes later, we would maybe remove the child from the room. Or if they mm-hmm. were flailing around throwing things, we may gently hold them and say, I know it's really hard right now. I'm holding your body to keep us safe. Okay. We're going to be safe. I'm here with you together, but I can't let you go to your baby sister right now. So mm-hmm. we can escalate the boundary and even hold gently hold their hands, but if it were an ongoing pattern, I would want to target those underlying needs. Yeah. Do I need to connect with my child more? I'm noticing this always happens midday after I've been really busy with the baby. Where can mm-hmm. I plug in that connection? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they're really overstimulated by the baby's crying. Can I give them some quiet time away from the baby somehow? Things yeah. like that. We don't want to expect the child's behavior, the child to rise up and change and nothing else changes. We ha- It's our responsibility to look deeper and change that environment to support their needs too. This podcast episode is brought to you by EarthBreeze. Did you know that the amount of plastic that is actually recycled is only around 5%? The vast majority of the plastic that people place into their blue recycling bins ends up in landfills and not reused. This is because many of them do not meet the threshold of being recyclable according to certain standards. This is even more of a reason to switch over to EarthBreeze laundry sheets and ditch your large plastic containers of laundry detergent. The laundry sheets will arrive at your doorstep in a small box that looks like a box of dryer sheets. The packaging is lightweight and biodegradable. To give you an idea of how much space you would save in your laundry room, you can fit 720 loads of sheets where you used to fit just one 60-load detergent jug. Each sheet is a liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle. Just toss that sheet in with your laundry and you're good to go. No mess with the liquid detergent. My favorite part is that it makes it much easier for our kids to do their own laundry now. They can throw their laundry in with a sheet and voila, it's done. I just restocked our laundry sheets and purchased both the scented and unscented. The unscented sheets are great for our daughter's sensitive skin. These sheets are hypoallergenic and dermatologist tested, so you don't need to worry about it affecting anyone's skin when you switch over. Earth Breeze is compatible with high efficiency washers, gray water systems, and septic safe for those of you that have a septic system like us. You can set up a flexible subscription that is easily adjustable and can be paused or canceled at any time. I love that we no longer have to buy those large plastic jugs that take up space in our laundry room, and this makes it much easier for our kids to help us do the laundry. This is just another way to help our environment, which is so incredibly important right now. Try Earth Breeze risk-free. They will give you a full refund if you are not satisfied with the product. No questions asked. Switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new. Right now, my listeners can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 40% off. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. I see that very frequently with our middle two. I didn't really notice much of this before we got busy with multiple kids, right? Like I never noticed this until, I don't know, like the past couple of years where it's very frequently one child in particular. And it's funny because they both just feed off of each other. And honestly, the one's like a little instigator and they get into it and they fight all the time. Like when I tell, I mean, it's all the time. And some of it is like, they are having fun. Like that's how they play. But then, you know, when it's not. <laughs> yeah. And this particular child, like we like she is, there's so many things about her that I'm like, oh my gosh, I just love, like her, she's just incredibly independent mm-hmm. in that she 
Like when she puts her mind to something, oh, it's going to be done. She will follow through even if it's painful. Like she will do it, (laughs) which is hard to parent. But also we've noticed that she, which it took us a while to kind of understand this, but she actually needs the most attention, even though Mm -hmm. she comes off as this like incredibly independent child. Like she likes to... She she just likes to do what she likes to do. And so it's almost like you think as a parent, you're like, oh, well, she's good. Oh, no. And especially when you have multiple kids, like I said, it's it's hard to – your time is just like all – there's so much of it. And mm-hmm. to be able to split it up, like ideally for me, I would be spending individual time with my kids every single day. That's like it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like it's just never – I can hope and wish and all those things is never going to happen. But when she starts to act out or like when he starts to act out and they start doing this, like these brawls, I'm like, okay, this is where we need to add in that connection piece where I'm like, okay, like if my husband's home, I'll be like, okay, why don't you take her and take her on a walk and like connect with her and just like chat with her for a while, you know, or, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll take him and go do this. Well, you know, the older one plays with the baby or whatever. But yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because we have noticed that once we do that, once we're able to give them that individual like one-on-one time that is primarily, and I always emphasize what they want to do at that time instead Mm -hmm. of like me saying, hey, let's talk about this or let's read a book or I'm like, okay, like let's spend a couple minutes together. What do you want to do with it? Do you want to play? Do you want to like whatever you want to do? Like, let's do that. And then as you're playing or doing whatever they want to do, you can kind of chit chat with them. And I've found that even a small amount of time with that works. And you'll just see that week, there's not as much of that kind of going on in the house. <laughs> yeah. It's actually pretty amazing. And uh, But I will say it took us a long time to kind of figure that out on our own. So, (laughs) well, and I know when, you know, let's say there's a a single parent household, they may, you know, listen to this and be like, well, that's, you know, great. And all that, you know, people have that kind of family support, but what do I do if, you know, I'm going to go back to the cooking example, like holding my baby, I'm trying to cook dinner and my toddler needs connection. Well, obviously we're going to have to get creative, but we don't, I don't want people to have that expectation that it's always like, you know, a date outside of the house with our kid. Yeah. We, if we connect in small ways throughout the day, that can still fill up their cup. So they're not just getting, you know, drained their connection cups, not drained. And then it's Mm -hmm. a big deal. So, you know, we're cooking and our toddler wants us to build a tower with them. How about you build it right at my feet? And then you're right there. You're with me. I'm cooking. You're building the tower by my feet. And then, you know, let's say they crash the tower down and they smile and they laugh. Oh my gosh. You had the biggest smile when you crashed that tower down. You thought that was so funny, didn't you? Mm-hmm. That's still connection and, mm-hmm. you, and you're cooking and it is a little bit of a juggling act, but it doesn't mean that everything has to stop. We just really want to acknowledge our children and make them feel seen. So mm-hmm. if across the house, we see them laughing at something, just notice that yeah. and say, you're laughing so hard. That seems so funny. Yeah. That's connection. So we could do little things like that too. It doesn't, obviously the like one-on-one time is great, but if you don't get that, there is still you know, yeah. other ways that you could do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We, I, I do try to do this and I'm so bad at it, but I, I do try, but it's like, even when the kids are like, they're like playing really nicely together. Like, I don't know, they're building something or they're coloring or whatever, or they're individually off on their own and they're whatever they're doing. I like acknowledging that to them. Like, Oh, mm-hmm. Hey, I see you guys over there. Like you are playing that game. You guys look like you're having a lot of fun. Like that's awesome. Because I think so often our kids get our attention when they're when something negative is happening, especially mm-hmm. if you have a lot like you're cooking dinner, you're doing this, and the kids are kind of just running around doing their own thing. It's like you're only going to kind of break from what you're doing to kind of acknowledge something negative happening. Like, I don't know, you hear screaming or what you hear mm-hmm. someone fall, whatever happened. But it's like the positive things, like the positive reinforcement is so important too. And I, you know, that's even something that I just I try to focus on, but it's hard, you know, because you're like oh my gosh, they're being so quiet. That's awesome. I'm going to like get everything done while they're like, you know what I mean? And you're like, I don't know if I go in there and acknowledge it. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen after that. It might turn quickly, but. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it is really hard. It just requires being so intentional because like you said, when they're doing okay, we're like, okay, now I can go do this thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe we still go do the thing, but we just take the second to say, you guys are playing so nicely or I can see you're having so much fun. You're both smiling so big. And then we step away. So it's just about, bringing intention to it. Mm -hmm. Easier said than done. I'm saying it's just like it's this simple thing. It's obviously something that's going to take work, but we can absolutely do it. And it can have 
we can see the results. If mm-hmm. we start practice, practicing that, like you said, you saw things change when you guys were focusing on that connection. Mm-hmm. Connection is always an underlying need. If you don't know what's going on with your child, just assume connection. Yeah. And you're yeah. probably no, going I, to be on the right absolutely. track. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally, totally agree. Okay. So as we're kind of nearing down, I do want to ask you one, one thing before yeah. we wrap up. Can you talk about how you think the impact of like social media and phones can affect child attachment and relationships if you think it kind of affects it at all? Yeah. So parents being on their phone? Both even. I mean, yeah. Parents being on their phone, especially obviously when the kids are little. So, and I think this probably happens, you know, more often than we think, you know, because the problem is, well, the problem is deep because mothers don't have enough support here mm. in this country. So their connection is found online. And I could literally talk about that forever because that's what I, I mean. I, I was a motherhood influencer forever. And that was part of the reason I was online. And so many people, the reason why so many people um, engaged with me was for connection and because they felt alone. Mm. So the reason why we're kind of so glued is because we want to be seen by someone other than our child that is not able to interact with us at, at, you know, when they're younger, we want to be seen and we want to have that connection with other people that are going through the same thing mm-hmm. and how that can affect our child. And then I guess too, I don't know if this, and like you said, if you've already built that foundation, it might not have any effect, but um, as our kids get older and we do introduce a phone at whatever age that might be, whether it be 12 or 18 or whatever, can that affect their attachment style and how they kind of interact with like their family. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with the connection on social media. And I think people just try to make it so black and white, like it's bad to be on, on your phone in front of your kid, or it's good. Well, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not bad or good, right? We, it depends on how we're using it. It depends on the balance that we have. It's a, attachment again, is this complex relationship. It's not just this, you know, one thing that's going to going to derail it, but we have to think, how is it impacting how I'm showing up? Am Mm -hmm. I being mindful of my use? Am I able to attune to my child still? So, and I'm saying this just from what I know about attachment. There's not, I don't know of any like actual studies done right now because, Mm -hmm. you know, all of this is like relatively new in the last decade. So I'm not saying like, oh, this is based on research of social media, but this is based on just what I know about attachment. We just have to, with anything, whether it's phone use or it's divorce or it's just anything that impacts attachment is going to exert its influence in how we are showing up to connect Mm -hmm. with our children. I always get these questions. How does blank impact attachment? You can plug in anything. And my answer is probably Mm going to be similar. Well, how is it impacting you? Are you taking moments, you know, small moments throughout the day to check your email or respond to a friend and that's filling up your cup and then you're going back to your child and connecting with them. Well, I wouldn't be worried about that. But Mm -hmm. are you not getting your needs met in the way that you need them met? And so you're zoning out on your phone for hours a day and ignoring your children. Well, obviously that's not ideal. So there's not necessarily this formula, but I just want us to think are we able to attend to our child's cues if we're just totally blanked out on our phones all day? Mm-hmm. Well, probably not. But if you're doing it in small bursts and you're reconnecting and you're showing up and you're meeting your child's needs and they are your priority, that is what's most important. Not mm-hmm. that you never use the phone, mm-hmm. right? I don't yeah. expect that. I use my phone. I mean, I work from my phone. Yeah. So we have to be realistic. And connection is an important piece for a parent to maintain their mental health and well-being. Yes. So yes. I absolutely recognize that. Yes. Yeah. So I just think we have to be careful. Like if we're on our phone so much, like we're really trying to get a need met, is it really meeting our needs? You know, is there something else going on? Are we zoning out because we're just too stressed out Mm -hmm. and, and we're, you know, doing it for hours a day? I would want to address that there. Mm -hmm. But if it's like regular social media use, like I'm checking things here and there, I wouldn't be concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then as far as like when kids get older and start using their own social media and how that would impact relationship, I would think if children are going like on social media or they're connecting with friends and that's impacting the relationship, I would think that there's a problem in the relationship already. Mm-hmm. Like it's not caused by the connections that they're making with their friends or, you know, their communications. I would say if they're not getting their needs met, 
through their relationship with their parents, then are they seeking that out elsewhere? Mm, mm-hmm. So yeah. I wouldn't say it would be like the cause, but it may be like an outlet for them yeah. to get their needs met if they're not getting it at home. Then the social media to me wouldn't be the problem. The parent-child relationship would be the problem. Right. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, yeah. Because yeah. a, a question I was going to ask you earlier is like, what are the effects of an insecure attachment mm-hmm. long term, more long term? So like a, a child who grows up with an insecure attachment of whatever type, you know, how does that manifest itself as they grow older? You know? Yeah. I mean, there are different, you know, domains that it could impact and it really so not I don't want people to get scared. Like it's not like it really depends on how long this is the child's entire history insecure, you know, mm-hmm. or are there blips of it? So I don't want anyone to like freak out. That right. This is like a thing. But it can really imp- it can impact them at a developmental level. Mm-hmm. Like they could they have really stressful home environments and they don't have that supportive relationship with caregivers and they can't focus on mm-hmm. development. You know, they may have difficulties in school and difficulty with learning. Attachment actually it protects children from stress, which can affect their physical health. Mm, So it goes, you know, it goes as deep as that. And so and then we can see children have issues with self esteem, um, and not, you know, feeling confident, you know, not being able to express their emotions effectively in relationships, Mm -hmm. because they didn't get that with their caregivers who were supposed to model that and support that in them. Right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So before I conclude with these two questions I have for you, is there anything that you want to add that we might not have discussed? I can't. So I could talk about attachment for like hours a day. So there's always (laughs) probably going to be something, but I just, I just want parents like to take from this, that repair is Mm -hmm. going to be the most important thing to focus on. Don't Mm -hmm. focus on that perfection, focus on reflection and repair. Mm -hmm. I don't, I feel like the conversation around attachment can bring up a lot of anxiety because it's, we take it really black and white. Like I'm not doing it right or I'm doing it right. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a mixture of both. We're all not doing it right sometimes, even me. So Mm -hmm. focus on reflection and repair more than anything. And I'll ask you this one question about that. Is it ever too late to repair or can you repair anytime? You can repair anytime. And, you know, it is ideal to do it closer to whatever instance happened, of Mm -hmm. course, because young ones, they're not going to remember something necessarily from a year ago. But let's say you have a four-year-old and maybe the first year you were really struggling and you were really snappy with them and you're like, it's really sitting on your heart. And you're Mm -hmm. like, well, they don't remember it. You can still repair and it's repair is beneficial regardless of when it happens. Mm -hmm. It's going to be beneficial. You can say, hey, you probably don't remember this, but you know, Mm -hmm. when you were a baby, you know, mom yelled a lot and mom was really having a hard time. And you probably don't remember it now, but sometimes maybe your body feels stress when other people yell. And Mm -hmm. I just want to say that it's never your fault. You know, I've always loved you. Mom was having a hard time. It had nothing to do with you. And I'm going to try to keep doing better moving forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's so powerful. Even if they're like, what are you talking about? I mean, that's still, (laughs) you're still connecting and acknowledging an experience. So yeah, you could do it whenever, however old your child is. Yeah. Yeah. It's such great modeling too. I mean, because your child is recognizing like, okay, well, my mom's not perfect either and she makes mistakes and we just have to repair them and it teaches them to repair whatever mistakes they might make too, which is really cool. Okay. So my two questions for you. The first question is, if you could give one piece of advice for moms, what would it be? So I I feel like I kind of like what I just said would be something that I, this one is so hard. I'm like, I have so many things that come to mind, Mm -hmm. but I would say focus on not just repair for your child, but for yourself as well, Mm -hmm. because I think moms are so hard on themselves, you know, trying to hold it all together, be perfect, get everyone's needs met, also show up in our adult relationships Mm -hmm. and friendships. And we're, we have so much on us and inevitably, you know, it's going going to be too much for us. And, you know, inevitably, we're going to have moments of burnout and whatnot. And so when we focus on repair with our children, obviously, that's important, too. But how are we repairing with ourselves? Take those moments to recognize yourself as a human. You're not only important because of who you are to your kids, but you're also important just as an individual human yourself. Mm -hmm. And you deserve to feel well and and fulfilled and, you know, feel safe with Mm -hmm. yourself as well. So yeah, you know, recognize your own needs and the importance of your own healing in that process of repair with yourself too. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. And then the next question is, if you can make one meal for your family that everybody would eat that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. See, my husband is the cook in this house. Okay, so what would he cook? <laughs> <laughs> what do we usually do? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's not that it's like the healthiest thing, but we do a lot of quesadillas with extra stuff we have laying around. We're like, I would argue that that kind of is. I mean, you're getting all your different food groups in there, right? Yeah. Like you can get yeah. a veggie in there. You can get protein. You can get carbs. You can get fat. I mean... <laughs> And we do that a lot when we have like leftovers. We're like leftover beef, leftover veggies. Mm. Let's just make it into a quesadilla. Whatever's yeah. laying around, make it into a quesadilla. That's the, our easy like parent meal where we're like, we have no ideas and we're tired. Let's just yeah. do this. Yeah. Well, I love that they make, I mean, I don't know how long they've been around for, but like I just found them. But those like the protein fajita wraps. Oh, yeah. Can, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like 10 grams of protein in this wrap. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's yeah. like a sneaky little way to be like, oh, yeah, there's protein in there, especially if your kid doesn't really, maybe they're like, like they have a meat aversion. One of our, one of our kids didn't eat meat for like a year. And I'm like, oh, protein. Yeah. And it's like a great little way to, to get them that like little protein boost. But yeah, yeah. I think that's a great, a great one. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for taking the time out of your day to talk with us about this really important topic. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy that you invited me. I love talking about attachment. Like I said, I could do it all day, every day. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.